Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you very much. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, now the Executive Vice President of Broadcast Operations at Voice America. He got a promotion, and we're so proud. I love that opening voice. Thank you, Ryan. Wow, we got a topic for you today. Listen up. This is part two of something we started a few months ago. And if you love TV, crime shows, did they come from a book, from a novel? Did somebody just write a screenplay out of the blue? Well, we're going to talk about the future of crime novels, thriller novels, and do they need to be TV adapt adaptation in order to be successful? So let me just give you a little opening here, and then I will have my four esteemed guests. They're all back. I'm so thrilled to have all of you here with me. And if oh, everybody wave hello to LinkedIn, wave hello. Dale and Connie and Joanna and Cleo, wave hello. They, and wave hello to Facebook. It's a separate wave, separate wave. Hello, hello. Okay, live streaming. And wave hello to Voice America Business Audio. We're waving to you, Voice America. There we go. Okay, just want to make sure we covered all the bases. So I have buzz number two. And the buzz number number one, rather, is from stylist.co.uk. The book is better. Book adaptations have become must-see TV from Game of Thrones to The Handmaid's Tale and beyond. And it's not just modern TV where book adaptations shine. Classic series like the 1995 Pride and Prejudice are still standing up to today's viewing. So... Put that under your hat for a second and think about it. Buzz number two, a new take on Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones spinoffs, plenty of mystery drama superheroes, Shadow and Bone, The Queen's Gambit, The Walking Dead, and Game of Thrones. Some of the most talked about TV series of the past few years are all based on novels. There you go. And buzz number three, now I'm all caught up, TV series based on crime novels you may have heard of, A Touch of Frost. That's R.D. Wingfield's Inspector Frost series. Above Suspicion, that's Linda LaPlante's Anna Travis mystery series. DCI Banks is Peter Robinson's Inspector Bank series. So I'm welcoming back. I consider you all good friends by now. You've been on so many times because this is a hot topic. Dale T. Phillips, wave hello, Dale. There you are. Happy to have you back. Clea Simon, say hello. There she is. We have Connie Johnson-Hambly, who's taking time out from the ski slopes in New Hampshire. She said she showed me her ski boots, so it's real. And we have Joanna Schuffhausen, who just launched a new book this week. Congratulations, Joanna. So let's go around and do introductions. But since everybody knows you so well, I'm sure they all remember all of you. So why don't you give us a brief update on what have you been up to since the last time you were on? Not the, not the prediction special where Dale and Clea were with me, but when we talked about this topic in late 2021. Dale T. Phillips, what have you been up to? Talk to me. Hi, uh, just trying to survive mostly. <laughs> and uh and trying to create art in a time of fear and uncertainty and doubt is a difficult endeavor. It's, it's, it's tough at the best of times, but when despair and isolation come in and, and the, the fear of everything, it's, it's even harder. Okay, Dale. Any new books from you? Any book? You stop right in the middle there. Any new books from you? Any new? Oh, always. You know, I'm always working on new stories and a couple of books. I've got one novel halfway done, which is the start of a new series. I have a couple of uh, story projects and uh, story collections to get out this year. So it's going to be a 
a busy year, hopefully. Good. And that's something that's important for all of you, I know, because you're all, this is what you do. Let's go to Clea Simon next. Clea, what's new in your world, my dear? Uh, what's new with my world? Well, same as Dale said, trying to get through the winter. Uh, just got a ton of snow here in Boston. And I'm sort of having to switch gears because I've been uh, promoting as, as much as one can without being able to do bookstore uh, you know, the appearance of Joanna just nodded. She knows full well what I'm talking about. Um, for Hold Me Down, which was my my big psychological suspense of the fall, and I almost forgot that the paperback of my last Cat Cozy, which is an entirely different thing, comes out <laughs> next week. So a cat on the case comes out in paperback. So I'm, oh my god, I'm sort of scrambling to catch up with that. It's so hard when we just live in our computers. The, I mean, the good thing is the books get out there, but the harder thing is connecting with readers, and that's mm-hmm. that's what I really miss. I know. Tell me something. What is the, you have to explain to the audience, Cat Cozy, what is that, Clea? Oh, a, a cozy is a traditional mystery. Um, it's, it's sort of a traditional whodunit. Um, we like to say that the blood is dry before it hits the page, as opposed to Hold Me Down, which is very dark and deals with what we call adult themes. A cat cozy, like a cat on the case, is very gentle. It's a puzzle mystery. You're supposed to fall in love with the characters. And a cat cozy, well, there are cats in it. In this case, in my uh, Witch Cats of Cambridge series, you have a young woman. She's the protagonist of the series. A cat in the case. A cat on the case is the third book in the series. She really, really wants to be a witch. She set herself up as a witch detective. But spoiler alert: it's her three cats who really have the magical powers. So they sort of have to keep an eye on her and keep her out of trouble. I love that. My last definition of a cozy was something that you made out of fabric. It was quilted and you put it over a tissue box or a toaster when it wasn't turned on. I don't know. A teapot cozy? We all know one of the... That's a new term. I saw it in your bio and I just wanted to have it explained. Thank you so much. And let's go to Connie Johnson-Hambley. Connie, thanks for taking time out of skiing. I know that's where your passion is right now. Can you hold up the boot for our, our live audience? I, I don't see us on LinkedIn. Yes, Connie, know the there it is. Connie, wow. yay. Yeah. It's real. That's pretty jazzy. Connie, what have you been up to? Go ahead. Um, well, I'm very excited that I have a short story coming out in the Mystery Writers of America anthology Crime Hits Home, which is edited by S.J. Rosen and also features stories by Walter Mosley, uh, Sarah Peretsky, Gambino Iglesias, and others. So I'm very excited to share the pages with those um, notable authors. Uh, so my fall was taken up with last minute edits and picking out the voice for my short story, which is a uh, wonderful addition, you know, deeply, you know, to hear your story come to life in, in a voice other than yours is wonderful. And it was, you know, a deeply resonant, you know, man's voice with, you know, very theatrical notes. So I'm very excited about, about this one. And it's, you know, two assassins on a deserted island. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> so, um, so I'm excited about that. And aside from plugging away on some other novels that I am diligently working on, I seem to be uh, usually I'm very focused. You know, I work on one thing, get it done, focus on another. But this time I'm working on, you know, s- several different projects at, at once, and which presents its own wonderful things because you kind of stay refreshed on all the pro- products, uh, projects. But it's also very, um, you know, schizophrenic. You're not exactly sure which voice you're drilling down into uh, when it comes to that. And I'm sure that the other authors can speak to that as well, that you really need to 
focus in on exactly what you're doing, what you're editing or creating at that point in time in order for it to really come to life. But aside from that, that's been, it's been keeping me busy and keeping me happily behind the keyboard aside from, uh, aside from skiing. So, and I used to be a ski instructor, you know, to pay for my habits when I was in law school, et cetera. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's definitely nice to get downhill again. Very nice. Thank you very much, Connie. And let's go to Joanna. Joanna, welcome back. Tell us a little bit about the new book. So excited for you. Please, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, Yep, that's pretty much what I'm doing this month is Last Seen Alive, which you can see behind me. It's my sixth novel, fifth in the Ellery Hathaway series. And Ellery was 14 and kidnapped off the streets by a vicious serial killer. And she would have been uh, you know, his next victim, but a very green FBI agent played a hunch and rescued her from the serial killer's closet. And now she's an adult. Um, it's been more than a decade and a half. And the serial killer who's whiling away his time on death row is like, you know what? I killed other people and I'll tell you who and where the bodies are, but only if my last victim comes to talk to me. And so this has kind of been hanging over the series the whole time is the serial killer from the past. And now he's onto the page and we get to meet him, the person who tormented Ellery as a teenager. And will she be able to outwit him this time? Very interesting. Thank you very much. Those, those, uh, edgy and, and I have to say, Joanna, that, you know, I sat in at your panel at Crime Bake when you were talking about, you know, the psychological components of, uh, um, of crime, you know, per se, in the interview that you did uh, for the online Crime Bake. And I have to say that your background as a, well, let me see, um, you know, your PhD in psychology, right? Not psychiatry, your PhD in psychology really comes through. So I can, I I know that have reading, having read some of your past novels, that this one's promises to be a corker. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you all very much. I will tell you that I still haven't written my first mystery novel. It's going to be a, what is it when you only about uh, 20,000 words, 30,000 words? Is that a novella? And it's going to be a, a novella. Good start. I, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I I loved writing the funny parts of it, and I know who who does what to whom, and I've defined the murderer and the murderee, and I can't get to exactly how and when he does it, and I'm stuck. And it's been months that I haven't gone back to that part of the book. But you all may remember that the opening of my book is, it was not, Dale's writing something. It was not a dark Dale. We can hear you tapping. There you go. Okay, read the cat writes a novel. Save the cat writes a novel. Thank you very much. The opening of the book is still, it was not a dark and stormy night because the HOA rules forbade it. So that's, now you know what it's about. And living in an HOA community, I've got plenty of input for all the sections that I've, it's it's a satire and it's pretty damn funny, but I just can't get to the murder part. So I'm just having too much fun. We'll talk about that another time. Let's go to our Quotes. I've asked my guests to send me, as always, a quote from a fictional TV or movie character or a song lyric that has nothing to do with books, nothing to do with writing, I don't think, and they're going to relate it to the topic in their own words. Dale T. Phillips has sent us a quote from Harvey Logan, a.k.a. Kid Curry, American outlaw and gunman, played by Ted Cassidy, in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 1969. Seriously? American Western film. Okay. It was written by William Goldman. There we go. The quote is, rules in a knife fight, no rules. 
Dale, what does this have to do with our topic? Talk to me. In, for writers, for a long time, publishers, uh, large-scale traditional publishers were the only way to be successful. They controlled the distribution methods, the creation method, all production, all costs, everything. And they distributed to bookstores around the world as the distribution model. Things have changed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years completely, and there are no rules anymore because uh, independent publishing, sometimes self-publishing, which is a misnomer, uh, was seen as you aren't good enough to be in the traditional world. However, only a small percentage of writers, even in that traditional world, even with a big push and a good book, still weren't successful. They were just very blasé. The sales weren't spectacular and so they were dropped they were discontinued by publishers and that trend has merely continued in the last 10 to 15 years unless your book is a, a, a scorcher right out of the gate a lot of times you rarely get more chances and the nice thing is is we can now have the bookstore open around the world 24 7 365 through the use of electronic media the internet uh, we can get our books in multiple formats, in print for those who like it, in various, various ways, uh, small print, large print, uh, you know, hardcover, paperback, inexpensive methods to do that. We can create that. We can do audio books. We can have those created with free tools and no cost up front to get our books out. I've got 24 books on audio, which is great. I get money every month, and I don't have to do anything. We can do ebooks, which are a blessing in dozens of distributions. So, no rules, no more. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I think you might have hit on a couple of your predictions in there. So that's why I wanted to stop you and move on. Thank you, Dale. Great overview. It has changed. And I remember when publishing on demand was something early on many years ago. And I remember talking to people who hired a company that would put a nice cloth cover on in the front piece. And they would say, okay, print 500 copies, print 5,000 copies, and then you stored them in somebody's garage, uh, basement, and you'd call somebody to fulfill. Remember those days? And they'd mail you a book. When I was interviewing authors on my Monday Night Read My Lip shows years ago before Zoom, I was getting hard copies. I had bookcases, floor to ceiling, filled with hard copies. And it's against my, shall we say, cultural religion to throw out a book, unless it's so hideously bad that I wouldn't even want to share with them. I give them away. But anyway, it was just interesting that some of the books were, people told me, yes, I hired a company to publish this on demand, and it's one of 5,000 that are still in my garage. And I felt so bad for them. Everything has changed. Thank you very much, Dale. Let's go to Clea's quote. Clea picked a really interesting one. It uh, The quote is from Dr. John, a song, the album Going Back, Going Back to New Orleans, 1992, but it's also attributed to Buck Owens, whose real name was Alvis, not Elvis, Alvis Edgar Owens Jr. There were two different versions of the song that lead to this lyric. So here's the lyric, and Cleo, you can have fun with this. The lyric is, how come my dog don't bark when you come round? I hope <laughs> I did that okay. Cleo, talk to us. You got to get a little more of the drawl into it. And, and go ahead, think, go ahead. Give me the draw. Go ahead, do it. How come my dog don't bark when you come round? How come my <laughs> dog don't bark when you come round? You come round. All right. Because the you it. is important there. You because come round. Yeah. I, I mean, I love everything Dr. John. We lost him two years ago, but um, still one of my favorite musicians. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we uh, we actually as a side story. Uh, my husband was interviewing him. We both got to interview him a couple times. Got to meet him a couple of times. Um, and uh, my husband told him that I chose for our first dance at our wedding um, one of his songs, and he responded, "Your wife must be a piece of work." <laughs> 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 and hey, is dirty blues, but I took that as a high compliment. But in terms of fiction and in terms of crime fiction, I love this uh, quote because this quote really gets at the point of it. Um, we're always, you know, when you're talking about your novella, Bonnie, uh, you're talking about, gee, you don't know how you get there. Most of what we do, or a lot of what we do, is is working on not only motivation uh, but uh, plotting. Um, you know, where do you hide the clues? And I, my prediction, looking forward, well, I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here, but one of my th- thoughts is that audiences and readers uh, and viewers of TV mysteries are getting more sophisticated. So we have to be even, you know, increasingly careful on what we do. And I love this, my dog don't bark when you come around, because that's, that's the clue that's, that's um, important because of its absence. That's the thing that doesn't happen that you'd expect. Of course, in the case of the song, it's because you know, the dog's used to the person being addressed uh-huh. because the wife is cheating. But it's it's all about what you don't mention. You know, it, it's the negative. It's, visual artists would call it the negative space. And um, I think that's going to become increasingly important. And I, I love that. I try to think of that when I'm writing. Uh, it's, it's the thing that disappears. It's the rainstorm that isn't noteworthy in the plot, except that perhaps it, you know, alters a crime scene. It's It's the... Not the positive clue. It's the negative clue. That's that's where the mystery is going to be. The absence, the white space. I'm watching, I'm binging and almost done with, I'm up to season 10 of Death in Paradise. Has anybody seen it or what? Yes. Very interesting. And what's interesting is the lead characters have changed over the years. They've all left the show because it was filmed in Guadalupe and apparently it interfered with people, married people's marriages and with their child rearing. So all the lead, the lead detective leaves and the sergeant leaves and this one, and they keep swapping the main guy who's always quirky. They're on their fourth lead inspector. Anyway, uh, they go for a lot of those, Clea, those, one second, Dale, yes, they go for a lot of those what you don't see. Uh, it's like they're talking to a, a guy who is a popular TV host on uh, Sam Marie is the fictional island, Sam Marie Broadcasting Company, and here's this very elegant gentleman, and, and uh, the detective goes in and he sees a rack of shirts in cleaner bags in the, the plastic, and he starts going through them, and he's staring at the guy while he's interviewing him, and the man is saying, why are you looking at me? And he said, well, I'm looking at your shirt. The man said, don't touch my shirts. I have them handmade in somewhere. Handmade and hand-stitched. They're very expensive. I don't want you touching my shirts. And the detective looks and says, didn't you notice there's a button missing third one down on your shirt gee wouldn't it seem odd that a button is missing on a handmade shirt that's sewn so carefully and so beautifully and you paid so much for oh well i don't know he said when did you change your oh before my show this morning and then the detective goes to the place where the crime was where the woman was murdered and goes under the couch with gloves on and he finds the button and he comes and that helps but i don't know if that's white space but it was interesting clear because it's so unobvious it's so little gap in the guy's shirt so what and that was the clue that led to anyway blah 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 thank you very much for your quote let's go to connie johnson hambly and you've picked a quote from anthony john tony soprano paid by the late great james gandolfini the show was the sopranos i hope i'm doing this right american tv crime drama series on hbo 1999 to 2007 and this is an interesting quote i like people who don't need everyone to like them Okay, Connie, help me out here. I'm doing terrible with the accents. Go ahead. 
Well, what I, I, I can't do the New Jersey Mafia accent any justice, so I, I won't try that. Um, but what I love about this particular quote is that uh, it really embeds what we try to bring into every scene, every character, which is conflict. Um, you know, what, what makes a reader turn the page, what piques a reader's interest is that inherent conflict either between good and evil or something that, you know, that drives that story forward that needs some kind of resolution. So what I like about this quote is that it really talks to the meat of what makes a book series great and what makes a TV series great. So I thought that for today's theme, that really kind of fleshed it all together. And I also loved Clea's uh, quote because it is that, you know, that, oh, why doesn't that dog? Bark, you know, interesting, and all you know, all these things. So you want something that inherently um, hooks the viewer, hooks the reader, causes that that question to start to form in their mind, even if that reader or viewer doesn't know that that they're forming a question at this point. All they know is that you know, two characters are pitted against one another, or a character is pitted against him or herself with, kind, with some kind of moral conflict, some kind of ethical conflict. Um, so those are the things that create that hook for a great, meaty series that people want to come back to. Thank you very much. Great quote as well. And let's go to Joanna's quote. This is from Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks, busy actor. Said to Dottie, played by Gina Davis, the movie A League of Their Own, 1992. You know how long ago that was? It was 30 years I like to think ago. about it. <laughs> I know. American sports comedy drama, a fictionalized account of the real-life All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, the AAGBPBL. And here's the quote. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. But the heart is what makes it great. Joanna. Yeah, well, I think that's true of pretty much everything, right? And definitely writing. Like, it's hard. Like, you have to conjure a whole universe that didn't exist before and make it on the page so that you can transmit what's in your head into other people's heads. It's like... Mm -hmm. I don't know, telepathy or something, but you have to make it happen. And there's a lot of energy and, and struggle in making it, you know, bring your vision to life. But it's also true of mysteries, I think, and in, in fiction, like if the character doesn't struggle, if, if they don't encounter hardships, like, you know, if it's, they walk in on the first page and they're like, well, oh, there's a dead body. Well, she did it, you know, it's over. Like, it, that's not satisfying. Um, you know, in, in my series, Ellery was kidnapped by a serial killer. And this color is kind of, you know, a lot of different aspects of her life. And some people were like, well, why is she still struggling with this on book two? We saw her struggle with it on book one. Like, shouldn't she be over it by now? And it, no, like every incremental gain she makes is it, you feel for her when she struggles and fails. And then that makes the, the rewards, especially in the, in the fifth book, when she finally is making some strides forward and is making some peace with what happened to her, it feels satisfying. And it feels satisfying because we've watched her overcome this struggle. And without the hard, without the struggle, there is no reward. Thank you very much. I Before we get to the predictions, Dale, I teed yours up in the chat. I want to ask a couple of questions. Number one, when you write murder and thrillers, 
and you've got people doing bad things to other people. Okay. Do you have bad dreams at night? Does this cause, let me just quickly go around the table. Dale, does this cause you to have, oh my God, I had a nightmare about my character. Yes or no? Just real brief. As my former instructor, Stephen King says, no, no, I get other people to have the bad dreams. That's why I write them out. Very well put. Clea, any bad dreams? Uh, I don't have bad dreams. What happens to me is I come up with plot ideas, usually after doing something else, because it's like you're your conscious brain is out because you're you're working out and you're making dinner and you're trying to put together the shopping list and you go, oh my God, shopping list. I could use the shopping list. <laughs> so every, every, it's a collage basically. It's an idea collage. Everything contributes. Connie, yeah. bad dream? Yeah, the actual scenes, the gory murders, whatever that I put into my stories don't keep me awake at night. Um, what keeps me awake at night is how best to translate that to the page. So, um, you know, I might not be cooking dinner like, like Clea is, but, you know, two in the morning, man, those ideas start to skitter across the bedroom ceiling. Okay, interesting. Joanna, dreams? Uh, no, I go to bed with forensic files every night. So, <laughs> like, the, the murders don't scare me. Real life scares me a lot more. Um, but I did have a, a bad dream the other night where I was the murderer. And what was bad about it was I'd made so many mistakes, like rookie mistakes. And I was so disappointed in myself. Like I brought my cell phone with me when I committed the crime. And I'm like, why did I do that? That's so dumb. That's a great answer. Thank you very much. Other question. Our topic is the conversion, the adaptation from crime, thriller, novel, mystery to the big screen, the little screen, to a screenplay somewhere that shows up on a television or a streaming service or a movie, what we used to go to the movies. Um, is that part, have any of you had any of your novels converted to or adapted to the screen? Anybody yet? Is this something that you aspire to? Because that's my topic today is is that adaptation so many have. So the question is, oh, yeah, I watched that show. Oh, yeah, that's from the so-and-so series. Clea, any thoughts on that? Um, I, yes, I have not been that lucky. I have a couple of friends who've sold options. I think you can aspire to it, but it can, I've seen this happen with my friends, it can become, um, it, it can sort of take over the writing. You know, you, you try to do the screenplay or you try to write or you spend just a lot of time pitching. Um, I, I, for me, at any rate, I think it's more important to just focus in on the writing. The, uh, the other thing about options is that most options never result in anything. So I, I have friends who've, who've bought houses on the options because the options keep, like every two years, a studio has to renew it. Uh, but still, they haven't gotten to, to turned into movies. So lovely dream. I got to keep my head down in, in, you know, in the trenches. There's our reality check. Dale, Connie, Joanne, anybody yeah, want to comment? When, yeah. when you say what we what do we aspire to, I aspire to anything that's going to sell more books. <laughs> you know, and if that means that it's a TV series, podcast, you know, interviews, whatever, that's that works. That works for me. Okay. Dale? However, the flip side of that is at a writer conference, there was a panel on four top-selling authors who had had their works turned into other media, movies, television, they were all complaining. And you know what? When you s sign the check, you know, when you sign the contract, take your check and just ignore what happens afterwards. Like James M. Cain said, you know, have they have, have the shows and the movies ruined your books? He goes, no, they're up there on the shelf and you can still read them just like they are. It is a different medium. And yes, as Connie said, if it helps to sell books, that's fine. But there is a vast difference on what's on the page, what's on the screen. 
Interesting. And then, of course, the interpretation of the characters through whoever was picked through their... By somebody their visage, else. Yes, by, the, by their, their physical appearance, by their voice, by their background, by their... <laughs> Jack <acting>. Reacher. <laughs> oh, we've got another one coming out soon, and it's a but different But he's actor. actually the size that Jack Reacher should be. But there's a, a new guy. Another one is pl- somebody else's play. I've seen several Jack Reachers. So I like, where's the real Jack Reacher stand up? Joanna, anything you want to say? Were you the one who didn't say anything about options? Were you the one? Um, I, well, I have to say, this is one thought I had recently. Yeah. Um, you don't have any control, really, once your book turns into something else. And, you know, I thought about, like, once there's a real person playing your character, there's a kind of, uh, there's a delight that comes with that, but there's also some risk. Like, what if that person turns out to be a crappy human being? You know, I have like readers who are really invested in Ellery and Reed, five books in, they love them. What if it gets turned into a TV series or a movie or whatever, and the person playing Ellery is revealed to be like a Nazi? You know, like, I, 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 and now all of a sudden, like that, taints your characters. I don't know. There is something pure about having them be fictional uh, that, is, totally that fictional. is nice. Not that I would say no, but I, it is something I thought about. When, you know, Because we're getting a whole bunch of like Me Too things where the, yep. the masks are coming off and you discover like with Bill Cosby, oh, he seems so nice, but he's actually been raping people all these years. Yeah. And like what if Bill North Cosby... Chris Cloth has been cut out of shows, too. Uh, The Equalizer wrote him out of a script, and the Sarah Jessica Parker's ridiculous re-renovation of uh, Sex and the City. Evan Spacey. I couldn't yeah. get through more than 20 minutes of the of the new Sex in the City version, whatever it is. I just thought that's not even worth my time. I'm sorry, it's just me. Anyway, let's move on. Thank you very much. Very interesting points. I want, It wasn't what we were going to cover today, but I thought the audience would like to hear that. So let's do some predictions. Dale T. Phillips, let's briefly, this is an interesting one. You say, the indie music scene radically changed the music business for smart, capable musicians, providing a way to make music and money on their own terms. I'll stop there. And then you say, similar opportunities will expand to further encourage writers to create their own companies. Let me stop there. Dale, three minutes. Talk to me, please. Yes. Uh, in fact, at some conventions, I've seen graphic novels be quite successful and approach some of the artists and said, hey, I know some people with some terrific stories that would make fantastic graphic novels. Let's combine to do something. And right now, it's the cost of production. Uh, when that lowers, when that becomes more convenient for everything, uh, in audiobooks, it's already worked. The cost of production is now so low that it can be done on the cheap, and you can get quality products better than sometimes uh, even high-cost traditional products. Uh, the companies that should be formed are to control all of your intellectual property because once you have that intellectual property, this is something that a lot of writers don't understand. That has value. A lot of uh, traditional publishers are trying to tie up those rights because they understand the value of it, even if they don't act upon it. But if your property sits there doing nothing for years, it's no good to you. If you have your own company, are able to control all the ways that that is licensed and pieced out to license that copyright, then you have control and you can make money off it. And when something takes off, it can go across the board in so many different areas. And you can just explode into unbelievable success thank you very much very interesting anybody have any comments on that before i move on i'm going to go to one from clea 
And Clea, let's see what I set up for you. We're going to your prediction number one in all formats. Let me go back to gallery view here. In all formats, we're going to see increasingly diverse protagonists in gender, culture, and ethnicity. Interesting. It's time. Clea, talk to us. It is so time already. It is overdue. Um, so thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about the, you know, as we call it, uh, diversity, equality, and inclusion. Uh, we're seeing this on both sides of the page and really the production. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, uh, there are groups like uh, the uh, Crime Writers of Color, which is uh, which which is as a group promoting, uh, you know, more diverse uh, uh, authors' works. Uh, there's a move within publishing to publish what we call own voices, which again are from uh, authors who are from groups that are underrepresented. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking of uh, trans authors like uh, Dharma Kelleher, who's a fantastic author of, of crime fiction. But what we're now seeing, and I think we're going to see more of, is uh, this um, diversity I, on, on the page and on the screen, uh, you've got show. It's already happening. You've got shows like Euphoria, uh, which has you know characters across uh, across the whole range of of gender and uh, you know and race. You've got shows like the the wonderful Sex Ed on the BBC, which is now available here. Totally recommend it. It's hilarious. It's warm hearted. It's wonderful. Um, and you've got different storylines uh, with characters. You know. Characters that writers might not have even thought of five years ago, and this is wonderful because you have you get more stories, and we're always looking for stories. Um, and it, it also it, it just brings in more people because everyone wants to see themselves on the screen. Everyone wants to see themselves on the page. So you know, if if somebody who's uh, you know figuring out their own gender issues or sexuality issues sees a character who's doing that, you go, oh my god, yeah, okay, I can relate to this. Um, and you know, as a straight, white, cis female, I want to say it doesn't cut us out because, you know, we're just part of a greater mix. It's sort of just, it's like going from black and white to color. It's like suddenly there's just this bigger world. And I think we're going to see more and more of that because we're hungry for that. We're hungry for that as readers. We're hungry for that in the author community. We, you know, we need to see that on TV. Um, you know, diversity is just just beginning to blossom. And I say, you know, bring it on. Thank you very much. I've started to watch Blackish. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Mm -hmm. Kenya, uh, yeah, Kenya Barris' show, Anthony Anderson, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. And there is one scene, I think they're replaying some older episodes because the kids are much younger, but I still enjoy them. It says up next, and I just keep watching on my DVR. However, there's one episode where the school play is, uh, I think it's Romeo and Juliet, and the lead isn't doing very well. And they say to, uh, it's, uh, what is it, uh, Jack and Diane, they say to Diane, why don't you play Romeo? Romeo. And she tries it and she says, no, nobody, something about nobody will, will like me. How could I play a man's role? And it's very interesting. That how, how can I, and this is a little girl, you know, she's 10, you know, the, the girl who plays her, um, I'm trying to think of her last name. Uh, she's been a, a TV producer since the age of 14. She's a, a, a firebrand in terms of production and, and being out there as a businesswoman at a very, very young age. Marissa, sub, I can't remember. Marseille, Marseille, M-A-R-C-S-A-I. Anyway, forgive me, whoever you are. <laughs> and finally, she bows out. She said, I can't do it. I can't do it. People say, how could you play a man in a, in a play? Her brother, Junior, takes over and he's got a split costume where he's Romeo and then he turns and then he's Juliet and then he's Romeo and the audience goes ballistic because he did both. 
cards. <laughs> I thought it was wonderful about gender, about all those issues of who gets to play what role. Anyway, I digress. I'm up to uh, Connie. Your prediction number one is interesting. You say technology. That's what we're all about here on Tech Rev. Technology will continue to push creative boundaries by enhancing viewer and reader experiences with additional content. I'm going to let you take this and run with it. Connie, go ahead. Right. Well, it's certainly content that we are all creating as authors. We're creating our settings, our storylines, our characters, etc. But for me as a as a reader, you know, the technology is such that we can blend both. We can blend reading and viewing together. So when I think about, you know, how static an ebook is, but you're there either, you know, on your tablet, on your computer, on your phone, well, just with one link, you're like, well, what does that cathedral look like? And with a click, you're able to see it. Well, or, you know, take a trip on a barge down the Thames, whatever, and you can actually see that. So for me, when we're talking about the future of technology, stories, et cetera, I'm looking at, you know, certainly as Clea said, you know, the diversity is, you know, it's a bigger tent, let's everybody fits into it, et cetera. But the technology also allows that, uh, you know, that, that tent to become uh, technicolor. Uh, it, it allows so much more to come into the story. And I do believe what Joanna had said about having a real-life character now all of a sudden embody your fictional character. And what if that real-life actor, actress, is a real dip for whatever reason? Um, and it kind of solidifies that. Well, having you know d- different hyperlinks, having a very rich ebook environment, um, it does limit the imagination to a point. But sometimes viewers and readers need that spark in order for that you know that that window in their brain to open up and say, "Wow, I never thought of that." And I think that that's one of the examples that Game of Thrones has where it opened up you know uh, uh, windows in the in the viewers minds to say oh my gosh I never considered this uh, and another aspect of the ebook piece is that it or the what I'll say the the content rich reading experience is it allows those minor characters to also have depth and breadth that someone who just uh, maybe is a servant in the household, they have a story, they have a life, they have a backstory, and that allows that additional diversity to come in. So I really look at the blending of our imaginations as writers to hit the blending of technology to allow that depth of experience that I think we're all hungering for. Um, as consumers of stories, whether it's a written word or, you know, viewing. So I do think that that blending allows us just a deeper, richer experience. Thank you. And that's what we're all looking for is some kind of an experience, deeper, richer, more fun, more intriguing, more compelling, more otherworldly, more not us, more us. So many things we're looking for in everything we do, in our shopping, in our consumption of entertainment, in our books, in our jobs. We're all looking for a good experience or some kind of experience that that adds to our lives. Let's go to Joanne. I'm looking at prediction number two. You say more female sleuths on TV coming beyond the amateurs. 
Jessica Fletcher, more domestic thrillers. Joanna, you're up. Talk. Uh, I think that TV and movies are maybe running a little bit behind crime fiction right now, where sort of in the last 15 years, women have really exploded onto the scene with their storytelling and different kinds of sleuths. Um, some of them definitely are still amateurs. There's a lot of really fun stuff being done in like Clea's cozy genre. Um, and then also more hard boiled types of characters, female detectives. And I think what you see on television right now, there are definitely still are some like mysteries that are driven by women, but it's still a lot of them are very male anchored. I'm thinking of all this NCISs and the Blue Bloods and all of this stuff. There's a lot of testosterone going around, um, but there is some signs that the TV movie industry is picking up on trends from uh, books where like, um, Leanne Moriarty's stuff is being translated like Big Little Lies and that's more domestic type thrillers where there is a mystery but it's like centered around the community of the home, the neighborhood or whatever. Um, how well do you really know your neighbor? How well do you really know your nanny? This kind of thing. And Shonda Rhimes is another and like there are now women who have uh, positions of powers that, that can make these stories come onto the screen. Um, and so I think we're, we're starting to see a shift. I think it's just going to accelerate because there are so many good novels out there um, exploring uh, women's. I, I, there was an Atlantic article, maybe even 10 years ago now, it was a while, maybe five to 10 years ago about how women sleuths have an advantage because they're often not expected to be sleuthing. Um, and, <laughs> and so they're, they're expected to listen more. And so they pick up things that maybe a male sleuth might not. Interesting. Interesting. Paying attention more, maybe more nurturing, more caring, more tell me what's on your mind. You did it. Okay. Thank you very much. Interesting. <laughs> Let's go to a few more predictions. Dale, I'm looking at prediction number four. You say studies show that even today, only about 10% of published authors make it to six published books, and that's with earning some sort of income from writing. Dale, what's the prediction here? Go ahead. Well, now, as we said, no rules. The barriers are down. In the past, your income, your career was controlled by others. Now, with no rules anymore, and with the advent of technology that allows us to become our own businesses, to become our own creators of content and distributors of content, the income streams come in enough so that you don't have to live in poverty. I mean, signing a, a book contract for three to $5,000 one a year isn't going to be an income. It's, it's a side hobby. And now you're actually able to manipulate those streams of income to make larger and larger streams as time goes by to make a real living at it. We have lost so many stories because so many people have given up. Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith are a married team. They've been in the business for like over 40 years and they've seen heartbreakingly so many authors just quit because they're like, it's too hard. I, I'm not making any money and I've got, I can't do all the promotion and I can't do this and they just quit. And we've lost so many good stories and now we don't have to anymore because there are so many ways of getting that story out to the world of creating content in different formats. The technology allows that. I mean, music, as uh, uh, Connie was saying and Clea, I mean, think about when you're reading an ebook and you click a link and all of a sudden 
you've got the background music as we do on shows on TV. We have the music to heighten the emotion of it. Imagine if you could do that while you're listening or reading to an ebook. I mean, you can do it in audiobooks. We don't do enough of it. That's going to increase. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Keep reading. Let's go to Clea. Clea, I'm looking at prediction number four. You say, with streaming and binging still popular, look for more limited series. That's more limited series that closely follow the novels they're based on. And I know often we see not exactly like the novel. You'll read a review or you'll read something on Wikipedia, not following the novel closely. So Clea, where is this going? Well, it's actually I'm picking up on uh, unintentionally because I didn't realize she was going to say this, but something that Joanna just said with Big Little Lies. I I think combine uh, you know the rise of you know perhaps again the rise of of authors and the rise of of uh, female authors uh, and combine that with the trend of streaming of well Bonnie you yourself said you just sort of click watch the next one. Um, I think that what we're seeing is a shift. I think what we will be seeing more of is a shift away from these. These shows where every week it's a new crime. You know, I, I was a law and order junkie, boom, boom. Um, but I think what we're going to see more of are limited series uh, based, you know, maybe even more strictly on novels. So we've got Big Little Lies. We've got, um, oh, what was that wonderful one set at the uh, uh, the resort in Hawaii? Oh, was um, Nine Perfect Strangers? No, no, no. Um, Lotus? White Lotus? White Lotus? White Lotus, White Lotus. White, White Lotus, White Lotus, White Lotus. Yeah. yes, thank you. I didn't hear you. Um, something where where it takes a book and it just sort of strings it out over seven episodes, which is, you know, it's so much better than trying to fit an entire book in like one, even in one two-hour movie. If you've mm-hmm. got seven or eight hours, you can really do a book justice. And for mm-hmm. viewers, uh, this is something that they can, they, can watch in a, they can watch in a night if they're, you know, up for it. They can watch in a couple of days. They get the entire experience. And I think that this is the trend of the future. Uh, we're going um, to see these stories that just go maybe direct from the book to the screen, but stretched out in an arc that people can just take in the whole thing. I'm looking forward to that. Has anybody seen The Flight Attendant, Kaylee Cuoco's yes. new show? Yeah. The Flight Did, Attendant is a perfect example yes, of that. from a book, uh, limited series. Did you like yes. it? I loved yeah. it. It was very okay. fun. I, I just, too, too much and too much. It just, I, people are remembering her from Big Bang Theory as Penny, and now she's this magnificently gorgeous, globe-trotting flight attendant who is doing- She's a total mess. Doing yeah. everything and everybody, if I can say that genteely here on radio, <laughs> and so we'll leave it alone. And I just got tired after one. I said, oh, the blood, the guy, the, the death. No, 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 no. Maybe I'll go back to it. Anyway, let's go to another prediction from Joanna. Joanna, I'm looking at number three. You say, mystery, right? This is interesting. This is backwards from our premise today. Mystery authors wishing to be successful will model their detectives on those from TV series. Aha. Mm. Joanna, talk to us. Uh, So if you want to have a long-running detective in your book, I think you can look at successful TV detectives and pick, pick up on why people keep coming back. And it goes back to character. So there is a defined character with a very specific point of view. Um, They usually have uh, a human credential, at least one. So something that they care about in their life that's beyond justice. So this could be maybe they have a child, maybe they have a partner. Um, So they always care about the case, but there's something else that makes them human, makes them relatable. 
so you want to bring that to your series detective too. It can't just be like, oh, well, it's my job to show up and investigate the body. There has to be some reason we care about these characters as people. Um, they have rich lives outside of the case. We meet, you know, their partners, their um, pets. That's a big one. You want to. I know actors don't like working with cute pets because it upstages them, but I'm telling <laughs> you, like, you know, you put the pet in there. People love the pets. So I think that you have to remember the puzzle is important. Like people enjoy reading the mysteries for the puzzle, but they keep coming back for the characters. Like they want to see, you know, Jessica Fletcher and the um, village in Maine and all the colorful characters. Like they really want to come back to that world. Um, and so if you're looking to make that happen on the page, you have to think about the elements that bring people back to the series. And it's, it is the world building and the charisma and all the people around the main detective. Thank you. When you mentioned animals and pets, there is a lizard that is named Harry by the first inspector, police inspector, in the beginning of Death in Paradise. And instead of giving the guy a nice house to live in, he lives in this shack with a tree growing up through one of the rooms, <laughs> through the floor. And it's right on the beach, right on the, on the water. It's gorgeous, but it's ramshackle. And the commissioner played by uh, beautifully by Don Warrington, his his prefecture or whatever they call it owns that shack. And Harry, the lizard, is part of the the experience of every subsequent police inspector who inhabits that house because that's where uh, the guy lives. Yeah. And at one point, one of them comes with allergies and he's allergic to the sun and he can't stand the smell of old cushions and he's everything and he's constantly dousing himself with bug spray and all kinds of spray. And he tries to get rid of the lizard. He takes it to out to the rainforest in a box and the lizard won't get out of the box and then he stumbles on something and the box opens up and spills and Harry is gone and he realizes how valuable Harry is so he brings the rest of the police people there's only three in the force by the way in addition to him and they go on a search for Harry and turns out Harry found a girlfriend so they have a female they put them both in the box and bring I'm sorry, just so so the pet lizard and Harry's really cute and he shows up, of course, going down the tree or down whatever it is, just at those moments that that need some tenderness or a or a Bonnie, quirky smile. You yes. might have invented a new a new uh, subgenre. Maybe instead of cat cozies, you're going to be writing lizard, lizard cozies. cozies. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, but I'll, I'll think about putting something like that. Dale, we have time for one more prediction. Uh, I'm not sure about this one, but let's be nice about this. You say Amazon will gradually become less important to writers, I assume, as other marketplace players come to the fore. Dale, just take about two minutes because we're almost done. Yes, out. I don't knock Amazon like some people because they became the disruptive technology. You're about revolution, and they caused, in great part, a revolution. The things had existed before. They took it into a commercial success vehicle for most people. A lot of people, half the books sold now, are coming through Amazon. A lot of people are getting their content via that. However, as we've seen in the past, the companies that disrupt technology don't stay around forever. I mean, you know, the big, you know, digital computer, where are they now, right? <laughs> They've become subsumed or outdated or just uh, somebody beats them with the competition. And Amazon is currently the big dog, but more and more companies are coming in all the time to take pieces of that away. And with technology, of course, it's going to happen and they won't always be the big player. 
Thank you. And I don't know if you know, but there was a global outage of that woman's name who sits on the wall who controls your lights and all of that the other night. And I went on the outage report and I watched all of the reports coming in from all over the world, out in Brazil, out in Texas, out in Florida, out in Maine, out in in, in Argentina. And it was just like watching a Twitter feed with all the reports. But the joke was that a certain person who has a certain space company who has a certain relationship to Amazon needed some extra power for his spaceship. So we unplugged, <laughs> unplugged Alexa for a couple of hours. And there were memes going on on Twitter. It was hysterical. Wow. People said, I have to figure out where the light switch is on the wall because we don't turn our lights on anymore. We don't know what to do. It was hysterical. This was a global outpouring that was spontaneous and I watched it and I thought, this is really, really cool beans. We have time for almost nothing, but I want to go to one more last one from Joanna. Real fast, one minute. You say a subscriber model for imprints or authors pay a regular fee to access content from your favorite authors or favorite genres. So subscriber model, that is the wave, that's the rage and so many things, including cars. So Joanna, real fast, what do you see here? Well, I mean, this is a little bit of a shot in the dark right now, but I thought it would be interesting to where instead of, um, paying by the single content, you could sign up for like an imprint, like my publisher does, for example. So maybe you could get a reduced rate per unit by signing up for just some X per month. Um, or, you know, like Dale says, now with Amazon and other providers where it's direct to, you can be like maybe a subscriber model. Uh, for a particular author where, again, it's not on the book thing, but you pay like a little bit a month and you have access to all their content at any time that you want it. I just Patreon thought would, does that now. Yeah, I, I just thought that would be interesting as, as something that might happen in the future. Very interesting. I want to thank the four of you. Do anybody have a website you want people to go to find out about you? We've got about 30 seconds for that. Sure. Anybody want to blow sure. that? Go ahead, Dale. Website? www.daletphillips.com. P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-D-A-L-E-T. All right, Correct. go ahead. Jo Dale T, right. Joanna, any place you want people to go for your books? Yeah, it's joannashaffhausen.com. J-O-N-N-A-S-C-H-A-F-F-H-A-U-S-E-N.com. Connie? ConnieJohnsonHambly.com. CleaSimon.com. C-L-E-A-S-I-M-O-N.com. See, I took spelling. I did very, very well. I want to thank you and thank you to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire. I want you to all raise your hand, your right hand, whichever side you are, and we're going to wait. Now, no, you're going to shake your finger. No, no, no. And on the count of three, you're going to join me. One, two, three. Say no, no, no. No, no, no. no. If somebody says to you, the future is already here, now we're going to do it. You're already going to say no, no, no. no. No, no, that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're all here to make it a so much better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh